On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino, we give you what we're watching for in OU West Virginia and preview the game with Jed Drenning. We also preview the best games of Week 11 of college football and give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, November 8th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack, Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this on Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, a good football team's coming to Norman, Oklahoma this weekend. Yes, they are. Yep, very good. And peaking. We're playing a peaking football team. We've got one football team that is trending down and one that is trending up. It's going to be an interesting football game. Now, before we get to what we're watching for, a couple of show notes. We are doing a live show on November 29th at 7 p.m. at Coop Aleworks in Oklahoma City. The link for tickets will be in the show notes, whether you're listening on a podcast platform or watching on YouTube. You'll find it. Click that. Tickets are limited, so grab them now. It's going to be a lot of fun and Depending on how some things work out, we we may have a special guest for that live show. Woohoo! We'll leave it at that. We also put another In the Weeds video on our YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe. You can also show your appreciation with a super thanks if you really like those, so go check those out. We're having a lot of fun doing those. All right, enough of that. Let's dive into the matchup. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball for the Sooners, Ted. What are you watching for from OU's defense against West Virginia's offense? Oh man, this is going to be this is going to be a awesome challenge for the defense. Um, you know, whenever you you look at what's gone on the last couple of games, um, I the defense has played well. Uh, in moments, they've played great. 
but we've still lost. And the main culprit is the turnovers. It's the main culprit in, in why this football team has lost. All right, what, six turnovers in the last two weeks. We went from number one or close to number one in the country in, in turnover margin, and the last two weeks has really put a dent in that. So the reason I bring that up is what West Virginia does, we absolutely can not turn the football over. Why? Well, we just got destroyed by Oklahoma State in time of possession. What was it, like 37 to 22, something like that? Just lopsided, okay? West Virginia is the number four team in the country for time of possession. All right, They run the football really well. They're going to be methodical in what they do. They're number one in the Big 12 running the football conference games only, all right? Um, that's pretty impressive. Well over 200 yards a game, and they rank seventh nationally in rushing. So it's going to be critical to get off the field, and we can't – it can be a limited possession game because of, of you know, their, their methodology. So we – Cannot give any of those drives away offensively and defense to to prevent some of those longer drives from happening. You have to be good on first down. We have to be good on first down. It's going to be the most critical down of the game for us. Um, what you get from them offensively, you know, there's not a whole lot scheme-wise that I look at and I'm just like, wow, that's going to be really difficult. They do some stuff in – in the running game where they have like a quarterback counter off of it, like some of the toss and quarterback counter the other way to split your defense and, and some of those things. But really what it is, it's just a physical fire off the football run game. You'll get some counter stuff. You'll get some split zone and they'll run that out of a bunch of different looks. Um, you know, you're not going to see – you're going to see some outside zone stuff. They like to toss the football quite a bit. Um, you're going to see, you know, pretty much the same group of running plays that we've seen this season for most people. Um, they'll get to it a bunch of different ways. But to me, I don't know what you think, Gabe. And we I heard this from Coach Vittables on Monday night at Rudy's as well. The offensive line – is I think he said the best part of their their team. I'll say it's for sure the best part of their offense. I I think it's the strength of their football team. And I think with the, the way that they come off the ball with velocity, um, plus they got they got some talented guys. Zach Frazier, their center, I think he's the best center in all of college football. He buried I, I think, the Mike Backer at uh BYU all the way into the back of the end zone pancaked him on that touchdown run. You know who he reminds me of? Who? Creed. He reminds me, if Creed would have been in a zone system, I think that's what it would have looked like. He's yeah. that good. I think he is a second, maybe at the very least, an early third-round pick. He's that good. They've got They've got multiple guys on their offensive line that are going to be draft picks. And they play with velocity and an edge 
I think the argument could be made that this is the best offensive line that OU's seen. Yeah. I think with the way they play, I, I think they they present more of a challenge than Texas for for this for this Oklahoma defensive line because they get you moving laterally with a lot of the stuff they do in the run game. And with youth at backer and the uncertainty with Stutzman, right? Is is he if he gives it a go, is he gonna be right? The gaps change a lot faster. Yeah. With the way that West Virginia does some things in the run game, man. No, I totally agree. And and we're coming off of two weeks where, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the defensive line played bad, but they didn't win the battle. Right? They didn't win the battle. They're blocked against Kansas uh, way too often and against Oklahoma State, you know, in, in some critical moments. Uh, we either couldn't couldn't win some one-on-ones to put pressure on the quarterback or we're getting pushed off the ball a little bit. Um, I I think that, again, the first down is going to be critical. If, if you're going to have a good game against West Virginia, you have to put them in third and long. Garrett Green – is athletic. He can run. Uh, you have to you have to be careful whenever you're you're coming after him in the rush game in your rush lanes because he can get outside the pocket and he can beat you. He can either get outside the pocket and pull it, and he's a legit four or five guy. He's got speed. We've seen him. It's not like this is the first time we've seen the kid. He uh, he torched us last year up and down the field running the ball. So we've got to stop him. But he'll also get outside the pocket and extend plays in the passing game. So that's going to be critical. And the best way to manage that is whenever they're not in 50-50 downs, 50-50 run pass downs where they've got access to their whole playbook. You have to be good on first, make them on second down, maybe be a little riskier than they would like to be. And hopefully you take advantage of, of quite a few of those opportunities to get some third and longs. We are a really good third down defense. So if we could put them in third and long, uh, be smart about our rush and containing green and put it on his arm, that's our best chance to win the football game, in my opinion. Now, we're going to have to cover because they got some good wideouts. Um, Devin Carter, he's a six foot three wideout, transferred. Guys played football for like 100 years. He's a six-year guy from NC State. Um, he's come on strong for him, and they've got a six-seven tied in. That's a transfer from LSU, and I don't know. He may be the most productive tied in that we've played this year. I mean, I know uh, Sanders was banged up, and he's the best at Texas. But um, what they get with Taylor, eighty-seven at tight end, they'll go to him a bunch. Boot, and you know, I mentioned Boot with Green. They like the boot passes. They'll run. They like a lot of sail where, you know, it's like a flood and you get like these, these deep, you know, you really stress the hook players. The hook players have to push to the outside and play. That's very difficult. They'll run a lot of that. And they like to throw the fade balls uh, with green also. But the boot is so effective because of the velocity of the offensive line you're talking about in the run game. You know, whenever they're hitting you with zone and outside zone and those guys are firing off and really trying to cut people off on the snap and boom, you see Green's got that ball out there and that line is flat. Those backers are coming downhill because they're trying to 
not get cut off and he pulls it and that's why the boot is so effective for them uh i really like their their boot schemes and, and what they do um but i started to ramble there a bit the point get him in third and long and put it on garrett green as a passer like as a drop back guy that's not that's not his strength that's not their offensive strength when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Looking at some of the interesting things they do offensively, how many times do you think they're going to throw seven offensive linemen out there on the field? Maybe 60% of the time they, on early downs. Yeah, They do it a lot. I mean, they do it a lot because they feel really good about seven guys that they got. Now, they've, they've had some attrition at the O-line spot where they've had to play a couple backups and those guys have played pretty well, but I think this game comes down to OU's defensive line playing well. Yep. That's they got to play well. This, this offensive line for West Virginia is much better than Oklahoma States and they are much better than Kansas's. Yeah. That, it's just, it's just what I see on tape. Yeah. The D-line has, from a tackles for loss perspective, has disappeared the last two weeks. If that happens again, this one's going to be interesting, man, because we haven't even mentioned the running backs. Yeah, physical, big. Uh, what's Donaldson's, like 6'1", 240 pounds almost. Uh, he's their go-to guy. And, then and, and not only do they have him, then they bring in the two – Guys with the wiggle. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got that dynamic at backs, like this big downhill power back in number four, CJ Donaldson. And then they bring Justin Johnson, 26 in. And they also bring 22 in. And those guys have speed and shake and space. Yeah. And I just I realized think- we're really scaring OU fans right now. <laughs> and I, I'm just telling you, the offense is. Run game especially is is really really good, and that's what I was about to say. I I think we see a lot of Kobe McKenzie at the Mike Backer spot. Um, now, and and I've said I I I believe that our two best backers are Stutzman and Kip Lewis. I would love to see Stutzman at Mike and Kip at Will, but you know. Stutzman's your most veteran guy. He's had an incredible season. 
you don't just pluck him from his position and move him unless like that's something that number one, he's willing to do and he's comfortable with and he's, he's okay with, um, you know, that's a, that's, I, I don't know how you handle that. Right. That's, that's kind of a, an interesting thing. You don't want to, you don't want to disrupt what he's done really well, but um, Kobe McKenzie at the Mike backer, this is going to be a physical, physical run game. They run the ball more than anyone in the conference. Um, so that's what he's best at. He's smart. Um, he's he's good at the run fit aspect of things. You think he's he's got really good vision and he's a good tackler. Um, now he he's he lacks a little bit in the passing game, but I think in this one, yeah, you, you may have to give some of that up because of how good he is against the run. But you're right, the defensive line, and I would just say the front seven. They have to be on it. You cannot screw up the fits, and you've got to be physical in this football game. I completely agree. Uh, one thing one thing I had in my notes about West Virginia's offense, this is going to sound strange. OU safeties, you are going to be set up three to four times in this game to get a targeting call. Yeah. Because Garrett Green will throw – three or four hospital balls a game where there's a safety in the middle of the field and he's still throwing the seam. He can see the safety. He's like, I don't care. And just throws it. it you go pick the ball off. D- don't get ejected from the game because those opportunities, they're going to be there. He does it every game, but it's in those situations you're talking about where it's third and long, it's second and long. They got to go to the pass game. He will make mistakes if you force him to play from the pocket. But you have to get him in those situations and then don't get thrown out of the football game because I'm just telling you, man, I know you've seen it. Yeah. He will put his wide receivers in some dangerous positions. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And You know, it's interesting that in this day and age, it's rare – I, the the completion percentages have skyrocketed over the last decade, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. Uh, number one, it's like the easy RPO, like to just quickly throw it and get it in a guy's hands. Um, but you know they've been coached really well. Quarterback play is is has been pretty impressive, but he's only fifty three percent completion percentage. Like that that's pretty low. Now some of that throwing the football away and being smart with it. But other times it's throwing it into some risky areas and, you know, not being on target. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you have to, which, you know, I said last week, you got to put it on Bowman's arm. Right. And he lit it up and he had one of the best games of the season. So it doesn't mean that you just put it on the arm and then, you know, we're done here. You you gotta we gotta tighten up coverage and be really good on the back end too. But you know, getting them into those third and longs is going to be the critical aspect. Anything else? OU's defense, West Virginia's offense. Huge challenge. That's it. All right. Let's talk about OU's offense versus West Virginia's defense. Uh first of all, uh three three five structure. Now that third linebacker is what they call their bandit linebacker it's kind of a linebacker dn hybrid position there for jared bartlett at at the edge spot 
So a lot of the time you'll see four guys along the line of scrimmage for their defense, but he he can drop in coverage and he's got speed. Like he can really run. From a coverage standpoint, they are a deep zone coverage team. They're a deep zone coverage team. Uh, they're they're going to give you a lot of two, a lot of three. Uh, they'll do some some combo coverages, right? Some quarter, quarter, half. But you're looking at deep zone coverage for the most part. They are not they're not an aggressive coverage team. Now that could change with some of the success that teams have had here lately against Oklahoma playing that way, but that's just not what they've shown a lot of on tape. The one thing that stands out about them, it's a physical group. A physical group. Now, not an overly talented group, especially along the defensive line, but they they battle, they strain, they look, they look physically strong along the defensive line and at linebacker. Uh, Lee Koba, their Mike Backer, number one, he is on the all-get-off-the-bus team. <laughs> he he looks like a he looks like Kenneth Murray if Kenneth Murray would have lifted a little more. That's what he looks like. Like he looks the part. Trotter Jr. at Clemson. Yes, he he is looking the part. But as a group, I mean, they're a middle of the road defense here in the Big Twelve. They're okay against the run. They're okay against the pass. Uh, when I watch them, I have a hard time figuring out what they do really well. I also have a hard time figuring out, okay, what are the glaring weaknesses of this group? I mean, they are, they're just a right above average defense that seems to do a nice job against the run. Their run fits are not great. A lot of the times, especially if they are bringing any type of pressure, the run fits get really poor. They, they are not gap sound. A lot of the times, and it, I think it has a lot to do with the linebackers not having a great, great understanding of how to fit off the defensive line, especially in gap schemes. They seem to really struggle figuring out where they fit if the other teams run in counter, power, things like that. The defensive line, they look difficult to move off the football. Now, they don't do a great job of using their hands and getting off blocks and making plays. But they make life tough on you when it comes to moving them. Uh, 91, Sean Martin is my favorite. Guy looks huge. Uh, I do not think, once again, I don't think the linebackers do a good job playing off of those guys. And going back a few weeks, Ollie Gordon went off. And a lot of it was in the fourth quarter. And a lot of it was because West Virginia just could not figure out the run fits. They were bad. Bad, bad. So you look at some plays that I think could be successful. Uh, we, we've seen the Sooners have success with counter here lately. I, I think that's one. you got to see if they can figure out those run fits. Stretch is not a play that OU has run a ton this season, but they've run a little bit of it, and I think it's a good play. That defensive line, they get reached so easily. I mean, and Houston ran stretch against them really, really effectively. Uh, I think you should sprinkle some of that in there. Uh, the counter stuff, once again, GT counter. Houston had this play. They had a little wrinkle off GT counter. They would pull the backside guard 
in the backside tackle and act like they were running counter and the, the running back would stop and just fly the other way and they would just flip it to him. And that got him in space and West Virginia just couldn't adjust to it. It was interesting to watch, but I also think, and I know I've complained a lot about the stuff at or behind the line of scrimmage. That type of stuff is good against this team. Swing screens, uh, bubbles, those things that you would consider an extension of the run game. Ted, I just don't see their their defensive backs doing a nice job getting off blocks out there on the perimeter. And our wide receivers have done a nice job blocking some of that stuff up. But ultimately, if you have success running the football, their safeties will get aggressive and there will be more opportunities to throw it down the field. Uh, UCF had a lot of success with some of their RPO stuff where John Rice Plumlee, he's got his eye on that safety. And if that safety looks like he's coming and fit in the run in the play action, he just throws it right in behind him to a guy. And they, they just exposed him in the middle of the field at times, but yeah, it's not going to be easy because this is a strong veteran group for the most part, but running the football is going to be, it's going to be important and you have to see if they fix some of those issues they've had with their run fits. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think the, the lateral stuff, um, I think it's always good when we're attacking vertically, um, like you have to stress the defense different ways. And those things are supposed to work in tandem. Uh, you attack people off the line of scrimmage with some lateral stuff and some run game stuff, and you force them to tighten coverage. But when they tighten coverage, you have to make them pay with the vertical passing game. So um, I'm with you. But I think we can have success everywhere. I, I'm really looking for the run game. And I'm curious, like, what do you think about the gap scheme stuff. I know the, the, the stretch stuff is good because we can cut them off, but like for us, it felt like it, it has felt like the last couple of weeks, like maybe we've started to develop a little bit of an identity in some of the gap scheme stuff. I, how do you think that that stuff will play? Yeah. The I, backers not being very good at fitting. Yeah. I think that, I think with what we've seen over these last couple of weeks, the gap schemes have, you know, you think about Toby Walker's touchdown run against Oklahoma state. I mean, it's All GT counter, Walmart. right. And it's, it's something we've discussed this team. They have not done a great job with along the offensive line with their combinations in the zone running game for, for whatever reason, uh, you're not seeing a ton of movement. Uh, yeah, that it just it doesn't feel synced up. Now, you can't just run only gap schemes. That's not going to result in an effective running game. But yeah, Ted, I am, I'm with you. It, it does appear, for whatever reason, that this offensive line is more effective with those style of plays as to running the, especially outside zone. They're just not good at running it, but. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see 
what concepts Lebby turns to most often in the run game in this one? Because yeah. it, it it may be gap scheme stuff, j- just yeah. like you're saying. I don't know. I I think that's. I mean, sometimes you there's what looks like it would work against this defense, and there's what are we good at, and it feels like we've we've kind of started to maybe hit a little bit of stride with the gap scheme stuff. And, you know, I think maybe it's because right, with some of the the inside zone that we do or the tight zone stuff, I there's a lot of RPO off of that with us. And I just I wonder if we're we're kind of we got a governor on our offensive line, it feels like on the RPO stuff. And whenever you've got the gap stuff, you can't really, I mean, you can't really hold off much in the gap scheme. I guess you can hold on doubles before you climb to the next level. But, like, you kind of, when you're back blocking, you got to get there. When you're pulling, you got to get there. So, I think maybe that keeps our our energy and our speed up in the run game. Not Not to derail this, but I've told you for years now since we've been doing this podcast how much – value I put in coming off the ball with velocity at the O-line position, Mm -hmm. right? You see the difference, right, with the way that West Virginia comes off the rock and the way that Oklahoma comes off the rock. I'm not crazy. Oh, it's speed, right? On on a lot of stuff, like most runs, when you watch Oklahoma film, when you're on the end zone camera, it's right there. In West Virginia runs, the end zone camera's moving, like because you've got like a mass of people that are, are, and it's that's why I like the boot game that they run is because you get everyone moving with that with the run, and then whenever it's a boot and you pull it, you still have that mass of people that are going the opposite direction. Yeah. Pass game thoughts. West Virginia's pass rush just. A lot of three-man rush. I believe something will have to go on tragically wrong if Dylan Gabriel's under a lot of pressure in this game. They don't have really anyone that stands out as a quality pass rusher. Uh, Ten, Bartlett, and eight, Tyron Bradley. I actually think eight, who is their backup bandit. He has has a good combination of speed and power. He looks good in a uniform. Uh, I, I think he's their most effective pass rusher, but the defensive line, it's it's pretty simple. It's like, can you hold up against the bull rush? They're going to try to run through your soul to get to the quarterback. So I I am expecting Dylan Gabriel to feel comfortable in the pocket. You You have to be aware where number one Koba is coming on blitzes. He's we we saw Nick Martin for Oklahoma State add to the rush late and smoke Dylan Gabriel in the chest a couple of times. Tobo will do the same thing. You have to have your eyes on number one. If he is in the count, you cannot just glance at him and ignore him after that. He will he will make you pay if you do that. But I think their strategy from a coverage standpoint is hey. Make offenses earn their way down the field. We'll give up some of the short stuff. 
Let's keep a lot of this stuff in front of us with this deep zone coverage. And we're going to make your quarterback have good timing and be accurate. And it reminds me, you, you hear Venable say it all the time, you're never going to go broke taking a profit. It it may be that type of game for Oklahoma's passing game. They're undoubtedly going to take their shots down the field. They did it against Oklahoma State. They just didn't connect on enough of them. Yeah. And Dylan Gabriel, he's got to let it fly, man. You cannot, it, when the opportunities are there, and they will be, you have to test 14 Malachi Ruffin. He's given up big plays. Anthony Wilson, 12, one of their safeties. He's an undersized guy at safety. You have to test those guys, but the ball's got to be on time. Wide receivers can't be slowing down, looking back for it. So it's important for the run game to force West Virginia out of some of that deep zone coverage. You you got to get the run game going. But yeah, I this is a this is another defense that Oklahoma's offense should have a big day against. But I've said that the last two weeks, and it just hasn't happened. So I'm as interested as everyone else to see what this <laughs> offense looks like on Saturday. I I I think if we do what we do and and have done, we'll be fine. If we don't turn the football over, we have got to get back to taking care of the football. It wasn't even a concern for a big portion of this season, and all of a sudden, it's become the concern. So that I, a lot of stuff's going to tell the story of the game, but none more so than than what the turnovers look like afterwards. I mean, you got anything you, else? No. OU's offense. Yeah. West Good. Virginia's defense. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the number one thing that you'd be watching for in OU West Virginia. And I really like this one from Wishbone Willie. Discipline from the top down. No self-inflicted penalties and turnovers. If either happen, make West Virginia force them. Call offensive plays that work, not plays that dazzle. We are who we are. Everyone just do their damn job. <laughs> Wishbone Willie, that is that is a pretty comprehensive uh, statement there. I like that. And it's well said. You know, it, it really is. We can, we can talk about all of the individual plays and this should have happened and that should have happened and officiating, which we're going to be going against them as well. We know that at this point. But we have we have all these self-inflicted wounds over the last two weeks that it's frustrating to watch clean football, disciplined football, penalty free, turnover free. And we win the game. Like no one has to do anything spectacular above and beyond what they're asked to do. And like, that's the thing that at least makes you feel good that, Every oh, the problems we've had the last two weeks are easily correctable. We just got to stop giving people like we've been giving the game away. There is there's a difference between takeaways and giveaways. Right. Yep. Takeaways. Right. The defense makes a play. You could even say you look at the three turnovers that oh you had in Bedlam, the interception. Okay, they're they're in the right place in coverage. Guy goes and makes a play on the football. 
takeaway. The fumble on the trick play, the bad snap that goes off Dylan Gabriel's leg, giveaway. Yep. You got to, if you're going to turn the football over, the defense better damn well earn it. That's it. So no giveaways. If they make a competitive play on the ball, okay. You don't want that, but you can live with it. The giveaway stuff has to stop. Yep. One other thing I want to say about this. I've had a couple people reach out to me and say something of like the fans are mad at the offense. And I understand that. I, I think the offense has been the issue in the Kansas loss and in the Bedlam loss. But some people have said, well, they better watch out. If they go three and out on Saturday to start the game, the fans are not going to be happy. What are you going to do, boo them on their own field? That's nonsense. It's ridiculous. I can assure you, if they go three out, three and out on their first series, their own fans booing them, that's not going to help things. That's not going to get them going, Okay. Right. They hear the criticism. They know what's what. Right? Do not boo those players if they go three and out early in the game. It will help nothing. I assure you. I just I've had multiple people say something like that to me this week, Ted. And I I have told them, do tell everyone you know, do not do that. Yeah. Please you- don't do that. It's embarrassing when when fans do that. Yeah, that you don't want to be you want to be you want to be part of the uh, the good side of it. You want to build the players up. You want them confident. You want them to feel like um, like what they're doing is meaningful. It's not not just within those walls. Like you you hate whenever a team like you can have an us against the world mentality, meaning it's. Like like West Virginia pick has been picked 14th preseason, right? You can use that as fuel. It's us against the world, but you don't want your your team to have to like huddle together and use that even like forget our own fans. Like you don't want that. You want to be in on it. You want to be a part of it. You want to help these guys because it matters. The environment is going to matter. You don't want to do that and. A three and out happens. Three and outs happen. Okay. I'm fine with a three and out. As long as we punt the football well and, you know, a cover, punting isn't always a bad thing. Turning the football over is a bad thing. If we punt, we're okay. I know that some fans are not pleased with Jeff Levy. I understand that. But if the players hear themselves getting booed by their own fans, it doesn't immediately pop into their heads. Oh, no, no, that's for the offensive coordinator. That's not for us. Just you need a home field advantage. And and that is... That is the exact opposite of what you want as a player. I just, I promise you. So I just, I, I felt, I felt the need to say something about, it cause it was multiple people that brought something up like that to me. Mm-hmm. So let's learn a little more about West Virginia. 
with Jed Drinning. But first, Love's Travel Stops now has 47 RV stops conveniently located at Love's Travel Stops across the country. Love's RV Stops provide RV travelers with a safe, clean, well-maintained, and spacious place to stop on your journey. Whether you need a propane refill, RV dump, private shower, laundry facilities, or a dog park for your furry travel companion, you'll find that and more at Love's RV Stops. Visit lovesrvstops.com to research locations, check availability, and make a reservation for tonight or for months in advance. Visit lovesrvstops.com to make a reservation and find out why Love's is the heart of the highway. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamore. The land doctors have a 120-acre property for sale in East Norman. Located just 10 minutes from campus, completely wooded property sits at the intersection of East 120th Street and Tecumseh Road. If you're looking for a quiet place to go spend some time in the outdoors or a nice little hunting spot on the outskirts of town, this place is for you. There are also development and business opportunities with this property as well. Call Colton Cole to schedule a private showing at 405-615-7645 or shoot him an email at colton at landdoctors.com. That sounds nice. It does. Very nice. And, and celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coop Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with a nice cold beer from Coop Ale Works. You can enjoy it at the Palace on the Prairie at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit schoonerale.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, here's Jed Drinning. It is our pleasure to be joined by a former West Virginia quarterback. He does the sideline reporting for the West Virginia football team now. He also hosts the In the Gun podcast with Owen Schmidt. Yes, that Owen Schmidt. Man, was crazy. Loved him. He also has one of the coolest Twitter handles out there, at the signal caller. <clears throat> Jed Drinning's in the house. Jed, what's going on, man? How are you, fellas? Looks like we're making one final trip to the prairie before you guys leave us, huh? Yep. It's going to be we're a crazy hit. one, too. Uh, after the cup, the games we've played recently, I would expect this one to be about the same. We're hoping, based on that point spread, I'll, I'll take crazy. We're two touchdown dogs going out there. It feels like it's 1982 again. At least uh, I'm hoping. That's crazy. I, I, I was shocked by that. Let's start here, Jed. Is it safe to say that West Virginia as a team is playing their best football of the season heading into this game? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, what you saw last week against BYU was, by and large, all three units came together. Now, there were some things about the special teams units that, that Neil wasn't happy about, but defensively, we swelled up against a struggling offense and did what a good defense will do against a struggling offense. We took care of business. Offensively, we're really starting to fire on all cylinders. We're now, guys, part of a into a four-game stretch in which offensively we're averaging over four, 500 yards a game. Uh, we're averaging 38 points a game, and the balance has been what's promising. I mean, we're over 250 passing and rushing. Uh, so we're getting there. This, this is kind of in the offseason – when when Chad Scott, our new offensive coordinator, who's been with Neil forever, and Neil as the play caller, when when they envisioned what this offense might look like, I think this is much more on par with what they had in mind. 
Now we're not there yet. It's far from a finished product, but as Garrett goes, so goes the offense and Garrett takes more strides each week, but he's still not a finished product himself. So we're getting there. Now the running game, as you just kind of laid out there, uh, has really gained a lot of steam. Number one in the Big 12 in conference games alone. Um, I think the average is right around 220 yards a game. Has that been a surprise that it's gotten to this level? Or I know you mentioned that that's kind of been the vision all along, but I, as you look at the program from the outside in, is, is this kind of a shock where they are running the football or is this kind of what you guys have expected? We knew to be a successful football team on any level this year, it would have to look like this. And this has been a long time coming. I mean, when Neil took the job in 2019, our our struggles to run the football were historical. I mean, they really were. We were we were posting numbers so paltry, paltry. We hadn't talked about these numbers in 50 years. Uh, it started to turn a corner. Zach Frazier was part of that recruiting class in the COVID year of 2020. He was a true freshman. He started. We've started. We since then we put pieces in place. We have two homegrown tackles from Spring Valley High School in West Virginia. We believe they're both NFL guys. We have a former freshman All-American left guard in Tomas Remack. We have a right guard in Brandon Yates playing the best football of his career. We knew there was a path to having an effective offense, but we knew also there wasn't a path if it wasn't spearheaded and led by this West Virginia offensive line. But guys, maybe the most impressive part has been the depth. Uh, those five haven't played in Taxon together a whole lot this season. There's two names uh, in Nick Malone and Jaquay Hubbard. Neither are, con- neither are considered full-time starters, but when you look at them, West Virginia is averaging 72 offensive snaps a game. Those two combined are averaging 65 offensive snaps a game. So they've had to be next man up so often. And because of them, we really haven't missed much of a beat, but, the offensive line has absolutely, in combination in conjunction with the tight ends, set the table for this run game. And we knew this is what good necessarily had to look like. Looking at the matchup with Oklahoma's defense, and I know you watch a lot of tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you you evaluate the opponent very closely. Where, where do you think West Virginia's offense can have success against Oklahoma's defense? Well, there's going to have to be times, and and, and I'm not – delusional enough to think we're going to emulate last year and hold the football for 37 minutes and have Garrett running wild, uh, win the fourth quarter the way we did with that time of possession. We're going to have to find new ways. So Oklahoma, by its very nature defensively, because they got athletes on all three levels, they're aggressive. They roll the dice. They take chances. They fire downhill at run fits. And sometimes you lose those gambles, right? So when those things happen and you lose leverage defensively, we absolutely, each time it happens, and if it does happen, have to take advantage of it. Because when I watch Oklahoma, a lot of people on the outside looking in, what they'll say is, well, they don't really get after the passer, do they? I'm like, you don't watch much tape, do you? You're just looking at sack totals, all right? You don't watch much tape, do you? Because there's other ways to impact the passer, you don't accidentally stumble into 15 picks. You don't accidentally stumble into leading the conference and in interceptions without impacting the passer. You might not have a lot of sacks, but you get after the passer, you knock him down, you hit him, you put those remember me shots on him. You absolutely impact the passing game. And then, I mean, how many times can I, it seems like every year I play you guys, it doesn't matter who the coach is, who the staff is, who the personnel is. We're talking about you being a TFL leader in the nation. And, and here we go again. Uh, again, you fire those gaps, you take those chances, and a lot of times you get home on those chances and you win. What happens is 
you're a good third down team. I'm preaching to the choir. You guys already know all this, but you're a good third down team in my estimation because 57% of the time you get teams in third and seven or longer. Well, how do you do that? By knocking them off script with that long laundry list of TFL. So we have to guard against that. We've been pretty good as an offensive team in large measure because of that offensive line about not getting knocked backwards. And that that's going to be paramount Saturday night in the palace. You mentioned Garrett green is still a work in progress and he's coming along. What do you think are some of the danger areas he's going to have to avoid for you guys to get the W don't put the football in harm's way when he sees a look that represents uncertainty. And he's been pretty good about that guys. First of all, the O-line's done a good job of protecting him. He's been sacked four times in over 200 dropbacks. They've done a really good job. The tight ends have helped. The backs have helped. But Garrett himself has helped. Here's what's interesting about Garrett. He, as he's gotten older, he's scrambling twice as often. Now, usually you'd think as an as a athletic quarterback gets older, you'll see that number mitigating go down as he stays in the pocket more and uses his eyes. No, he's, he's scrambling twice as often. But by scrambling, I typically mean extending plays. Now he understands that the true goal is downfield. It used to be, guys, when he would scramble, he immediately became a runner and he was looking immediately in front of him to make that defender miss and go downhill. Now he's looking to get outside the pocket, extend the play, maximize that pressure on the back end by adding two, three, four seconds to their coverage. And there's been a lot of big plays made downfield in the passing game. So when Garrett sees a look that he doesn't like, the Garrett of old might have put the football in harm's way or just taken off as a north-south runner. Now Garrett is trying to get outside to extend the play and, and trust the concept enough that something will, in fact, shake open or trust his wideouts enough that, from a scramble drill standpoint, they'll make something happen. So I, I think that's critical. You can't have Garrett lapse into a situation where Venables comes out, gives him some cloudy looks that confuse him, and he just takes a chance and tries to fire one in there. He can't do that. That's what we have to guard against. First, I think we have to stay ahead of schedule. Whoever wins on first down in the matchup from our offense to your defense, that's going to go a long way towards determining how this game goes. But don't put the football in harm's way. Just don't do it. Have you been surprised that no wide receivers really emerged as the guy for this offense? I think part of that, Gabe, is when you look at the rhythm of the offense was a little disrupted for a couple games early because when Garrett got hurt uh, in the first couple minutes of the pit game, we inserted Nico. Uh, now, Nico Marchial is a great player, but when you're, you're two steps in, you're going to have a fundamentally different offense than what you game planned all week. So we kind of had to reel things in. We saw some big play opportunities in the throw game against Pitt, but we couldn't get to them because Garrett, excuse me, Nico hadn't repped it. And then Nico makes the start the next week, so things are a little bit more, a little bit different uh, on the offensive side. So I don't know that whether it's a Devin Carter uh, or a Preston Fox or a Hudson, Hudson Clement has been tremendous for us, but he's been banged up. I don't know that they've all played with the same quarterback enough to develop that kind of synergy quite yet. The closest has been some combination of Devin Carter, our big transfer from NC State, and Cole Taylor, our big tight end transfer from LSU. But again, when what you're looking at there is uh, you have to get to a point where some level of relationship develops before you get to that. How about on the defensive side? Um, always, you know, have really built a, a, a reputation for, for playing tough, hard-nosed defense, particularly in the front seven. Some really good backers and defensive linemen have come through there. 
What have you seen from this group as they've started to gain some steam here as well? I'll give you the good and I'll give you the bad. The good, the most pleasant surprise has been the rotation up front at the point of attack. That D-line, we've rotated them pretty liberally. We go seven, eight, sometimes even nine deep. And they've all had their own role and own skill set. And that's led to production for them. Uh, now, on the second and third level, we had a lot of promise and a lot of hope with what we did in the offseason to fix some things. But we got dinged up starting in the spring, then into camp then into the month of September, we just had guys dropping left and right. And we are paper thin at linebacker and on the back end of corner and safety right now. So I, I think it's critical that the offense has to play this style of football, this keep away, this time of possession game to help that defense. Because when that defense has a snap count that drives high, you're going to get into some of that lack of depth on the second, third level. Like I, I was looking at it this week. You guys go tempo a lot more than we do. We'll insert it sometimes at different intervals to the game, but not as much as Jeff Levy likes to do, right? So what the end result has been you guys have defended 53 more snaps in nine games than we have. You played one more full game of defensive football than we have. Uh, that's necessary because we're so thin right now at those critical positions. We're holding the football on average, I think it's 33 minutes and 55 seconds. The last time a Big 12 offense did that to that extreme, was Colin Klein before we were in the league in 2011. So that has to continue. But one more thing we've done on the defensive side, as that youth has been inserted at backer and even at safety at some points, and by youth sometimes I mean a new face in the form of a transfer, right? Ben Cutter is a perfect example. He's played some Will. He's played some Mike. He's a true freshman. He's going to be an incredible football player for us. But sometimes looks get a little more cloudy for a freshman than they would for a more advanced player. So as we're chopping the front end, front up as we're stunting as we're twisting they don't get a clear look on the run fit you saw what Oklahoma State did to us gashing us for 280 plus on the ground now a lot of that was what Oklahoma State did credit to Gundy absolutely but we also missed some fits because of that stunning because of that twisting so in the last couple weeks we've been far more selective in picking our spots to chop the front up and presenting a much more clear picture for those young guys on the second and third level to get to a true run fit. B-gap continues and remains to be B-gap. You don't have to worry about B-gap moving down here because of a stun or a twist. So that's been relatively effective for us the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Jed, you are you're spot on. The run fits in the fourth quarter of that Oklahoma State game or not Ooh. good. Ooh. Not good not at all. Not good. Now – when you look at the defense as a whole, who's kind of who who have been the standout guys for you? Who who has really jumped off the tape when you've gone back and watched it? Who who are the impact players in your mind for this defense? Uh, there's there's a couple that come to mind. You would have to start with Lee Coba. I mean, he's the alpha in the middle for us. Okay, the tackling machine or as close as we have to one. But up front, when you look at our starting three, and, and again by starting they might hit forty snaps, right? Sometimes high forties. But you've got Sean Martin, a West Virginia kid, a defensive end, big, long wingspan guy. He's been really productive for us. Mike Lockhart, been with us a couple of years after transferring from Georgia Tech. When Mike's at his best, he is a really impactful interior defensive lineman. Eddie Vesterin, a European kid, he's one of these high motor, no off switch, limited skill set, but you can't tell it by his production. I mean, he's going to impact a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. It's just how it's going to be every week, whether it's forcing an interception by John Rice Plumley by getting in his face uh, at UCF, whatever it might be, he's always, always going to be fighting double teams and making you work for it. But when you get to the third level, the guy that's drawn the most headlines for us, last year we couldn't play the football in the air to save our lives. We only had four picks. 
uh, all year. The problem was it's not even that we were getting around the football to have an opportunity of picks. We were 123rd in the country in passes defended. Well, now you've had one guy almost individually and single-handedly spearhead an effort to put us in the top five nationally in PBUs and in passes defended. That's Beanie Bishop. Beanie Bishop's our boundary corner. You'll see him targeted a lot, a whole lot. Part of that is because he's a boundary corner. The nature of any offense is to take the short access, easy access throws. So they do that. By and large, you'll see Beanie at the corner spot instead of at the field. There are exceptions to that, but by and large. And he has responded in a major way. I think he's allowed 31 catches on 60-some-odd targets. But the big thing to me, guys, he's only allowed 70 yards after a catch on those 31 catches. So he keeps it in front of him. He plays secure football. But he leads the nation by six in pass-based breakups. He has 17 right now. The school record is 21. So he has a shot at that. Passes defended. He leads the nation by four or five. So he is having an incredible year. And what a get he was out of the portal for us from Minnesota. He's really led the way on the back end for us. So that, that that's what I would say. You're getting Aubrey Burks, who at free safety is probably, in my estimation, one of the two or three best back end defenders when he's playing his best football in this league. He's starting to play that way too. So those are the names that would jump to mind. I just uh, overall, you mentioned um, you know, the transfer portal there. Yeah. A lot of your leaders are are transfer portal guys. It seems to to be that it was a really nice offseason haul there getting some guys in, um, you know, some some veteran players to sprinkle mm-hmm. across the roster. Yeah, that's been the case. Uh, in this new reality of this landscape that we all have to embrace and accept, you're going to have a minimum of a 30-year roster flipped over each year. It's probably going to be more than that in a lot of cases. So now it, it, it comes down to kind of out-scouting people. Uh, for the first time in the history of the program, we have a true general manager in Drew Fabianich, a longtime NFL guy. Drew's done an incredible job stepping into the building and really embracing that role, uh, leading the way in a talent evaluation. Uh, but the big thing, guys, is they're fitting our locker room as well. I mean, I could go through a list of guys that have contributed as portal you know, additions, but they fit the locker room as well. They fit the culture as well. Take Beanie. He's a perfect example. Yes, he's been productive on the football field, but he's also taken some of those young guys under his wing and been somewhat of a leader for them. And that's been the case with just about all these guys, uh, the battle-tested veterans that we've got. And you know that. I mean, you guys have hit the portal as well as anybody. Uh, and, and that's helped shore up that defense in short order for you guys. But you, you, we're all going to have to find our own unique little way, whatever the easiest path is to that, because the days of just, re, you know, 80% roster retention, those are over. I mean, you're going to have an NFL model, you know, 30 to 40, sometimes even close to half your roster being flipped over in the course of a year. So you better find a way and a formula that's effective to not just being productive, but also fitting in your locker room. Jed, last one. We'll let you get out of here, man. Neil Brown done enough to save his job? I would absolutely have to think so. Uh, I, I mean, I was. I would absolutely have to think so. I mean, we. To me, the biggest thing about it that's obviously way above my pay grade. But to me, we hit bowl eligibility last week, and you would think that that was a moment of celebration for the program after what we've been through last year. Not at all. I mean, it, there's three games to go, and we got more things to accomplish. That's just, hey, set that aside. We're not going to waste any time talking about that. Of course that happened. Why do you think we were so upset when they picked us to be 14th in this league? And Why do you think not a minute of a day has passed without us reminding everybody that we're 14th in the league until we prove otherwise? 
So we looked at ourselves as a good football team coming in, and good football teams obviously hit bowl eligibility and keep on running. I think that speaks to the job Neil has done as much as anything. Because what I would say about Neil, the job that he was hired to do in 2019 fundamentally changed in the time since he's been here. I mean, the portal changed the job for everybody. NIL changed the job for everybody. So he's had to pivot on the run and adjust to that. And sitting here at six and three with three games to go uh, as a team that was picked 14th, he turned that into jet fuel. I mean, here he was a guy standing over a fire with nothing more than a couple burning embers, hoping to turn that into a bonfire. Well, somebody walked up to Neil with that 14th media preseason selection and said, hey, here's a hose with an endless supply of jet fuel. How about that? Because I'm telling you guys, if you're around that building, you don't go five minutes without hearing 14. You don't go five minutes without hearing it. So I would certainly think so. I think Neil's done a great job this year. Jed, you're the man. You you do such a great job of breaking it down for the Mountaineers. We appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate you guys. You keep it up. That is – I mean, that is as good as information heading into a football game as you're going to find for an opponent. That was awesome. No, that was great. That's that's everything you need to know, the good, the bad, and the ugly for West Virginia. Um, And, you know, a lot of the same stuff that we talked about, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting game. I'm waiting for it, man. It's going to be fun. The point spread is shocking. I know. I Please, for the love of God, do not get to 14. (laughs) <laughs> they've got 14 plastered all over their facility it's at 13 i've seen it at 13 and 13 and a half some places please don't give neil brown the ammo of that thing getting to 14 there's too much symbolism please no that's funny yeah that's not what we want but hey uh i'll say this i think we're capable of that we just got to go play the the type of game that you know, is where we're at our best. Take care of the football. Be smart. Be disciplined. Yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's preview some of the best games of Week Eleven in college football. But first, John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. Tell them we sent you, and they'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs, our John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, Browse their entire inventory and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, Connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com.
and head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game, and with all the garage locations being open to 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. College football week 11. Only one place to start. Number three, Michigan travels to take on number 10, Penn State there in Happy Valley. That'll be big noon kickoff on Fox. So 11 a.m. Central Michigan, currently a five-point favorite. Michigan has destroyed everything in their path this season. But this is by far the most talented team that they've played. They've got to go on the road. That's going to be a supercharged environment there. Ted, any chance that Penn State can pull this off? Uh, there's a chance, but I'm I'm leaning Michigan and leaning Michigan heavy. I, it's crazy that with all of the distractions that have gone on, that they've still been as good as they've been. Now they haven't been tested much. I mean, there's there's definitely some truth to that, but you know, it's not like the distractions just started with the signal situation. You had off-season stuff. You had, you know, the your head coach, <laughs> you know, was suspended for a bunch of the early season games. Like, it's been a weird year, and they have just continued to march right through all of that stuff. So I know there's outside a lot of noise and a lot of things happening. That seems to be the norm for this this team this year, and I don't think it's going to change when they go on the road against Penn State. Give me Michigan. Yeah, the distractions are – they've been there and they've got more. Now now yeah. you've got, hey, did these other teams, they had Michigan signals last year and they share it. So that's become this huge talking point with Michigan's fan base. Got Blake Corum uh, on paper in an LLC with Connor Stallions. Like what? This whole thing keeps getting – weirder and weirder but ultimately the best thing about football is it gets decided between the white lines and Michigan's a better football team than Penn State now will they be able to handle the environment I I think they're going to de- they're going to be fine I, I think that I trust J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum uh, that Michigan defense I, I trust them to make enough plays to win comfortably in this game. I just, I do not trust James Franklin to have his team prepared in a way to knock what I believe is the best team in the country off. If Penn State wants to make this interesting, they absolutely have to produce explosive plays offensively. And they just haven't this season that that goes for Allen and Singleton in that run game. And it goes for Drew Aller in, in that passing attack. They have not produced explosive plays. All of a sudden, they're going to produce them against one of the best defenses in the country. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just, I don't think the Nittany Lions could just grind it out against this Michigan team. It just, it's not going to happen. So, I'm with you. Even though there's 
all kinds of crazy stuff surrounding this program right now. I, I like Michigan and I like them by double digits. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. I, Penn State, I, their game, what they usually do is, I guess, somewhat similar to how Michigan operates, but it's just you're going up against a brick wall, and you, you've you got to be able to create some type of, um, you know, down-the-field stuff. Like, that, and that just, I don't know, it's, it's really a – a horrible matchup for Penn state because you're going against someone that is really just a lot better at everything that you try to do than you are, you know? So I, I like Michigan and, and I know Penn state is tough place to play and that's going to be an awesome atmosphere, but Michigan just flat out. They're, they're too much. They're too talented edge on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I don't see Penn State winning it, but you never know. A couple of crazy things happen in a football game. You never know what could happen, but everything in this one, to me, screams Michigan. I feel like it should be against the law for this game to be at 12 Eastern. I know. It's a you massive game. Let's get this thing. And I I the understand. out at night. Yeah. I understand it gets cold this time of the year up there in Big Ten country. I get it. But... I don't know. This one feels so big to have it in that slot. I don't just doesn't feel right to me. I agree. I agree. Moving on to the next game. Number nine Ole Miss is heading down to Athens, Georgia to take on the number two dogs. That game will be 6 p.m. on ESPN. Georgia currently a 10 and a half point favorite. Ted, I thought Ole Miss. Early this week, I was thinking about this game, and I thought Ole Miss would give Georgia a game because of that offense. But then I saw Kirby Smart publicly challenge Georgia fans to make it the craziest atmosphere in the history of Sanford Stadium. And I won't lie, that changed my mind. Ted, I think Georgia's going to roll Ole Miss. I think that's what's going to happen here. I got to tell you, um, I, I watched the Ole Miss A&M game, and I, I think you probably heard me talking about this like during breaks of the broadcast and stuff. It like the first half of that football game is is just so it's just bad. It's not good football. It's not. Now they got things rolling in the second half and started making some plays and doing some better stuff, but I'm telling you, man, what what I was watching did not look good. And I, I think Georgia is going to absolutely stomp Ole Miss. Like, if they play anywhere near how they played in the first half against Texas A&M, it's going to be 35-0 to zero at halftime. At least. And at that point, it doesn't matter. So, I, I know it's a, a fairly tight spread, 10, 10 and a half. I just, I don't think. I don't think Ole Miss is is anywhere close to Georgia's level. And you add on the fact that like what you said with Kirby, right? That that's gonna be a buzzsaw at six PM. I I think the most interesting thing is can Jackson Dart's mobility give Georgia's defense trouble? 
right? We we saw Brady Cook's mobility from Missouri give him some trouble. So, and, and Dart is, he is capable of doing damage with his legs. There's no doubt. I think Georgia, even though that defensive line, it's not at the elite level that it has been the last couple of years, it's still good. I, I think they're going to slow Quinshawn Judkins down. I think this game's going to be on Jackson Dart. And I just don't know if that guy's capable of playing the way he'll need to play in the passing game to pick Georgia apart. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to need to see that before I believe it. So on the other side, I think Georgia's going to be willing to open up, open it up a little offensively. Yeah. George, Georgia is the best offense Ole Miss has seen since LSU. And Jaden Daniels threw it for like f- 415 yards in that game. Carson Beck is capable of something similar. He He's capable of pushing it down the field. And, and I'm not saying they're going to abandon the run game with Dejon Edwards. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that Ole Miss can be exposed in the back end of that defense. So I, I want it to be an entertaining game. I want it to be close. I, I think college football is better when Lane Kiffin has a really good football team. I just think it's more entertaining. But we could see sad Lane Kiffin in the postgame press conference in this one. I I envision this one getting out of hand. Yeah. Well, we've seen quiet Lane Kiffin so far this week, right? At least uh, from what I've noticed. I think he, he knows when to pick and choose. Um, and you're right about Georgia's offense. Most forgotten about unit in the entire country, right? And – they are really, really good. And their quarterback, smart with the football, can make all the throws. They're talented at the skill positions. They they just get no credit for for anything and just quietly move along. Yeah, I I hey, I'm I'm wrong all the times, but I see this being a beatdown. I think the most entertaining outcome is Ole Miss winning, because then we get then we get Cloud Nine Lane Kiffin. I can't. If that happens, to be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be wildly entertaining. All kinds of dog pictures coming across the timeline. And did you see the dog go out and get the kicking tee for Ole Miss? Has that always been a thing? It's a it's a talented dog. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Any other games this weekend? When you look at some of these matchups, we've got Utah, Washington, USC at Oregon, Tennessee at Missouri, uh, Miami at Florida State. Things are not going well. For Miami, my goodness, any of those tickle your fancy? Yeah, I think the I think the Utah Washington game is interesting. You know, Washington they they put it on, they got it rolling again against USC, but you know they've struggled some lately. And if they if they screw around the way they did, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of previous weeks, Utah is going to win. They're going to beat them. So I'm I'm really interested to see that football game. Utah's defense is playing really good. Um, USC Oregon is interesting. Um, Brian Odom's going to be calling defense there for USC, which is come which on is Odom. Good. Yeah. So last time he called it was against Oregon in the Alamo Bowl for Oklahoma. So um, pretty interesting there. Oregon is, you know, whenever they made it a point to do what they did to Colorado. It's going to be the same thing, unfortunately, for USC. Because if you go back to some of the preseason talk between the two staffs, and 
I guess it mainly just came from Oregon, but I, if USC had any idea of going out or Lincoln going out to the West Coast and dominating recruiting, Oregon is going to try and put an absolute end to that this weekend. So that's going to be a tough one for USC. I hope the defense plays well. <laughs> I'm rooting too. for our guy, Odom. It's a great opportunity for him. Yes, it is. Now, I, I, while I disagree with a lot of the schematics of Alex Grinch's defense, he's an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, you know, I hope it's a good reset for me, lands somewhere and has a ton of success because he was always great to me. And I think I I think he's a stand up guy. So uh, it, it was a move Lincoln Riley needed to make. And Odom's got an awesome opportunity, but I, I'm rooting for Grinch, man. I really am because he's he he's one of the cooler dudes I've encountered since I've been doing this whatever media thing you want to call. It. He's he he was really cool to me. And you know, I think probably for the long run, it's going to be a good thing for Alex Grinch to to separate from from Lincoln Riley a little bit and kind of take stock of, of you know what's worked and what hasn't and you know try and try and rebuild his his career and and we'll see where he ends up I mean he'll have he'll have some opportunities and same thing with Brian Odom you know it's it's a growth opportunity for those guys the only other thing about this weekend slate Miami Florida State it's got to hurt Miami fans soul to see that spread 14 and a half now I know that Miami just lost to NC State, so and it it seems like that thing has come off the tracks a little bit. There, there's a little mystery if Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are going to play for Florida State, but man, things have gone downhill quickly for Mario Cristobal in that group. There was a, there was at the start of the season with the way that they were playing, there was some there was some positivity and. Not so much anymore. I, you know, I think Cristobal's a good coach, and they've had some good backing there, and they've they've, you know, had a a bump in recruiting. But if he can't get it done, am I? I think I'm finally leaving the program for dead. Like it can't happen <laughs> for whatever reason. I I don't know enough about the ins and outs of what goes on there, but it seems to be an incredibly difficult job they've lost three of their last five their two wins in double overtime and in overtime been been a bit of a struggle yeah Uh, all right let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week but first do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain well it's a hip thing and the only person go see is dr brandon johnson at the hip clinic in oklahoma city No matter your age, the hip clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the hip clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations 
for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Vikings. Kirk Cousins goes down with the Achilles uh, and they trade for Josh Dobbs, who was at Arizona, had a couple of really nice games for Arizona this year. And who, what a football game Josh Dobbs plays in his uh, Vikings debut. That was awesome. Did you, have you seen all the stories written about him basically not knowing any of the plays and no. not knowing had to get his O line together on the sideline to do the cadence. Like that's unbelievable. That that guy's got a massive brain. I understand that, especially with the way it started for him. It got off to a very rough start for him to bounce back that way. Gabe Whitting drive like the entire thing. That was that was crazy. Uh, crazy, awesome to see. That was great. What they had. Um right around two minutes or so left and 11 plays 75 yards down the field to get the, the win. So awesome. That's cool to see, you know, you hate it for Kirk cousins, but to see a guy, you know, just picked up off the, off the street, so to speak, come in and put that type of performance together. It's just fun. It's fun to watch. You know, it's not, it's, not a, a really a, a good sign of long-term success necessarily, but uh, in the short term, at least it, it was really, really cool to watch. You, you know what it does for Josh Dobbs? I, it extends his career by eight years, 10 years. He He's a, a backup quarterback. Yes. I, I know as much as, you know, he wants to talk about being a starter and getting an opportunity. I, I think at this point, it's been established. He's a backup quarterback. You go out there and you do something like that, every GM across the league remembers that. Mm -hmm. He yeah. can be a QB three, a QB two for a long, long time based off that one performance and the things that Kevin O'Connell was saying about him after the game. It sounds like O'Connell was just telling him what the routes were over the over the headset. And he just had to absorb all of it and be like, all right, okay, got it. That's, I mean, that's legendary stuff. The dude's going to be a backup for a long, long time. That one performance, I don't know how much money it's going to make him in the long run, but it's a lot. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, a lot of teams do, I, I bet most teams do 80% the same stuff. You know, um, and it's not all different language, but a lot of it's different language from team to team. Like if there was like a uniform language that everyone used offensively, you'd see a lot, you'd be able to switch quarterbacks around and players switch mid season a lot easier. But um, anyways, it was, it was really cool to watch. And that, that was, uh, that made for a really fun game and, that's awesome for Dobbs, and and hopefully the Minnesota can keep it going a little bit here. Yeah, I was Kirk, – Kirk Cousins was playing really good football. I hated seeing him go down with the Achilles, but all of a sudden the Vikings are 5-4 and four after getting off to, what, a 1-4 and four start? 
Look at you, Minnesota. Impressive. Yeah, pretty good stuff. They've, um, you know, they, they play good team football and it counts or it shows. I mean, that's that's how you do that. But that one is, is at least how it started off, not one that you were going to check into the win column, but they were able to come in and steal it. Pretty cool. No doubt. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? I had to go Baker Mayfield. Mm. Man, Tampa looked so promising. They started off three and one, uh, playing good football. And really, they still are doing some pretty good things, but they've lost four straight. Now, it's been a tough run of games, but had one ripped from their hands uh, at Houston. C.J. Stroud, which he is having an incredible year at quarterback, he goes right down the field in under a minute like it's nothing and scores a, uh, an answer touchdown after Baker Mayfield went down in a two-minute drive and and threw one in to to take the lead. I, Baker Mayfield's played pretty well. The offense has done a pretty good job. Their defense right now, historically bad against the pass it and it has just snowballed on them i don't know what's going to happen with them moving forward is the, the schedules it's not getting easier anytime soon yeah i think on the list of issues for the bucks baker mayfield's pretty far down the list yeah right now he's playing solid football uh he's not the problem that defense, especially the back end, C.J. Stroud is good, but five touchdowns? Almost, what, 400-something yards through the air? 470? Woo! I mean, or four, it's like four, it was like 450 or something like that. Bad. In an NFL game. Yeah, That doesn't happen in NFL games. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a stat line from when he was at Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it it's it has not been good, man. And you know, like I said, they started off so strong. I mean, it started when they played the Lions. Uh, Goff threw for like three fifty. Uh, Allen with uh, against Buffalo, he threw for like three fifty. Now the Falcons, that was a tighter football game. But you still had Desmond Ritter go nineteen to twenty-five for two hundred and fifty yards. Uh, it's they are giving up so much through the air right now. It's I mean, it really doesn't matter what Baker and the offense do. They've they've got to get something going defensively. But I hate that for Baker because he's like I said, he uh, awesome two minute drive to go down for the go ahead touchdown. You feel like, hey man, and I don't I don't even think Houston had any timeouts. He just went boom. Boom, boom, touchdown, game over. Crazy. Only other thing about that game, the running back, Agumba Wale, kicking field goals. Oh, yeah. That was pretty awesome. That so was awesome. That's, do you remember Arike Agumba Wale? She played at Notre Dame, hit the game winner to win. What I Was that the Final Four or the National Championship? It's one or the other for Notre Dame. She plays for the Dallas Wings now. Oh, She's an all-star in the WNBA. Yeah, that's her brother. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I Yes, I remember. I remember hitting the shot in college for sure. Yes, that's cool. Huh? Athletic huh. family. Yeah, I guess so. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, 
Elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They also got top-of-the-line heaters to keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy with more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Forbes Best in State Bank, the Oklahoma's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reader Rankings. It's clear that they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything FFB offers. Open an account at an award-winning bank today at ffb.com. First Fidelity Bank, we go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for a podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D for 10% off. That's opolis clothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. Uh, one more thing for Opolis. I, I know a lot of fans were, were moved by that clip of Drake Stoops speaking about how there's still things to play for, and that was awesome. It's fantastic stuff. Drake Stoops has three NIL shirts on opolisclothing.com. Go buy them. Support that young man. He is he is everything you want in an Oklahoma Sooner. He hasn't promoted his shirts at all, but they're there. I know they're there. I've seen them. So opolisclothing.com. Go buy Drake shirts. It'll uh it'll help him out. My winner of the week. James Madison University. The Dukes are not going down without a fight, Ted. <laughs> the leadership at JMU is continuing to fight for its football players, and I and I appreciate it. So some background on this, if you don't know what I'm talking about. JMU made the transition from the FBS or from the FCS to the FBS last season. And for whatever reason, uh, when you make that transition transition you are ineligible for the postseason for your first two years it's a stupid outdated rule that's going to change here in the pretty near future i don't understand it but it is the rule jmu now they have already tried to get the nca to do the right thing on multiple occasions and i think the attorney general for virginia even got involved at one point They've been denied with everything they've tried to do. But they're making one last effort. They just sent another letter to the NCAA D1 Board of Directors asking the NCAA to please do the right thing. People, JMU is 9-0. and They are one of seven undefeated teams in the FBS. They're the number 21 ranked team in the AP poll. And the only reason they aren't ranked in the CFP rankings is because they're not eligible for the postseason. So they don't factor them in. JMU is giving the NCA one more chance to do the right thing, Ted. Uh, do we think they'll do it? It uh, seems like the easiest decision ever for the NCA. It does. I have... I don't even, I'm sitting here trying to think what the reasoning for the two year ineligibility postseason is whenever you 
transition up to the to the FBS. One like, theory I've heard is that a team would have a really good recruiting class or two and be really good and try to capitalize on those teams and then they'd be bad again and it would just be a bad deal for the program. But that doesn't make sense to me either. It's a stupid rule. I don't okay. What if they had a couple of great recruiting classes and want to take advantage of it? Don't you want to see the best games in the postseason? Yes. Let's not let a good team in to let a bad team in. I don't I don't understand that at all. I could understand like if you're going down a level, I not being eligible for the postseason, perhaps, but that is so stupid, and since it seems like, like how often it's not like this. How often does this rule even matter? Right, probably never. So, I, it's not something that you have to like just absolutely, absolutely ardently stick to because this comes up every single year, every couple of years, and there's something like critical about it. No, it's the easiest decision ever. That's why I have zero, zero faith that the NCAA will make the right choice. I, it's easy. We should all, if they don't, we should all publicly clown the NCAA. And we do that anyways, but we need to ramp up the intensity because the NCAA's job, from what I've always understood, is to look out, for the best interests of the student athletes. That's that's how I've always understood it. This football team for JMU, they have a chance to play for a Sun Belt Conference title. The players deserve it. I mean, if the NCAA is about what is best for student athletes, rewarding them for their hard work on and off the field, there's only one correct choice here. And not only that, dude, they've got a great opportunity to be the highest-ranked group of five team in the nation and go play in the New Year's Six Bowl. Ted, we've played in those games. Those trips are a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Some of the best yeah. memories of my life are from those trips. Gabe, if, if they allow James Madison, then that means that some barely eligible bowl team is going to get bumped out the bottom. Some six-win team is not going to be able to go to the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl or whatever. I these players have deserved to have. They have earned mm-hmm. earned the right to have these amazing experiences as a football team. Sitting little league, sitting little league, and right now they're actually. I saw some projections. There are not enough teams that are projected to be bowl eligible, like six and six teams to fill all the spots in the 41 bowl games. And I guess JMU can get a spot if there's not enough teams that qualify. But that's not how it should be. This is a team that's a damn good football team. They should play for their conference championship in their conference championship game. And if they win it, they should go to the New Year Six because this is football. It's decided in in between the lines, man. What are we doing, NCAA? Fix this. That's the dumbest thing ever. Imagine if this were I fast forward a year and this is a 12 team playoff year. Oh my gosh. 
which, you know, next year, yeah, I, that's crazy. It's so stupid. I, if I'm like a bowl sponsor, I'm like scratching my head. It's like, wait a second. We're, we don't have enough bowl eligible teams possibly right now. And we're going to be putting in some five win teams into bowl games, but maybe you've got an undefeated conference champ that is sitting at home watching. That's stupid. Any adult, you don't have any person with a brain can understand how stupid that is, except for the NCAA, apparently. Well, not only the postseason ban, it applies to the conference championship oh, so, game. Wow. It's insane. Let let the guys let the guys experience what they've earned. Hmm. Come on, NCA. You you've got an opportunity to get some positive publicity, guys. You can do it. You can do it. Well, wonder what is the Sunbelt saying though about it, it? It's the NCA rule. It's out of their hands. I, I guess what would, would they would they allow if the I guess they wouldn't have a choice, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering what's in the contract paperwork for them. Um, I don't know. That's stupid. Dumb. I'm with you. My loser of the weekend. Week. It's not the weekend yet. Dang it. My loser of the week. NC State football. Do you see what's going on with that quarterback situation? No. So, uh, Brendan Armstrong, remember, he was at Virginia. He transferred in this season uh, to reunite with his former offensive coordinator. He was their starter to start the season. He didn't play particularly well. So Dave Dorn made the switch to a guy named MJ Morris about a month ago. And he's been decent for the Wolfpack, and they've played better. They are they are three and one in Morris's four starts, including wins over Miami and Clemson in the last two weeks. Well, on Tuesday, it came out that MJ Morris said, I am, I'm not playing the rest of the way. I want to preserve my red shirt. Now he burned his red shirt last year as a freshman playing in five games. I think one of those games, he played three snaps or something like that against Syracuse. The plan going into the season was for him to red shirt and sit behind Armstrong plans changed. And a lot of like, this has been a very polarizing issue. A lot of people are mad at MJ Morris. A lot of people are on his side. I don't know. It's just, it feels, I, I wanted to get your thoughts, Ted. What, what do you think of this entire situation? His dad has come out and said, Hey, no one said he's leaving the program. You know, the plan was for him to red shirt this season. I, it's just odd though. Of course he's leaving. Right? I I don't know. It you don't sit you don't take a red shirt year when you're the starting quarterback. Unless you're leaving. Typically not. <laughs> you sit a year so you can be the starter. You don't sit a year when you're the starter. I, I don't know what to make of it. It sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. This guy isn't exactly lighting it up either. 
55% completion percentage, 719 yards, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, some people seem to think he's going to attract some big NIL package from somewhere else. I Okay. I I don't know, but it kind of feels like the uh, the college equivalent of a holdout. <laughs> did did the the staff just find out about this? Yes. It was a surprise to the staff. It was a surprise to Dave Dorn from uh from what I could gather. Player empowerment, baby. Hey coach, nope, I'm good. I think I'd kick him off the team. Yeah, I'm interested to see how Dave Dorn reacts to this. The only thing I will say in defense of MJ Morris is he played as a freshman last year. He thought he was going to be the starter. And they, they brought Brendan Armstrong in. Now, there was a competition in camp. He had a chance to beat him out, but he thought he was going to be the starter this season. They brought another guy in via the portal to take his job. Maybe he's still still feeling some type of way about that, but yeah, not a not a great situation there for the Wolfpack and the dynamics in that locker room. There's no way that this kid can ever even step foot in that locker room again. Right. If I was an O lineman, now they, their win, their last win, they just beat Miami. It got them bowl eligible. But if I'm a senior on that team, I want to go to a good bowl game. I want to keep winning games, and their next games are Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina. I, I don't think I would handle it well as his teammate at all. But this is a product of the new day and age of college football, right? With the rules. Uh, Is it that bad of a thing that he's going, hey, I'm going to see what all my options are? Yes, it is that bad of a thing. It's a horrible thing. Uh, you, you You don't commit to a season with your teammates, take over as the starter, be one of the leaders on the journey, and then for to to do what's best for yourself, which he's got a chance to play eight games, start eight games. I I think that is the most chicken shit thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. A player just pulling himself out in the middle of a season. The starting quarterback. I, I would, I would, don't even come in the locker room. Pack your shit and go. Get in the transfer portal. Don't want you. I'd rather, I'd rather go out and lose the remaining games playing with guys that are in the fight and in the fire and want to be there. 100%. I don't care about NIL. Uh, I, That is the dumbest thing ever. I'm surprised one of his teammates hasn't already slapped the shit out of him, which maybe they have. I don't know. You cannot confirm or deny 
any slapping going on. But I think it's safe to say if you and I were in the situation, if we were Dave Doran, I think we'd handle it the same way. Appreciate you, man. But got to go. Get an early jump on that transfer portal. I can't believe there's so many people going, oh, yeah, he's doing what's best for him. No, he's not. You you think that you think that quitting on a team in the middle of the season down the stretch is doing what's best for him? I you almost don't touch him with a 10 foot pole in the transfer portal, no matter what your quarterback situation is, just as a principle. I because you're gonna bring him in the locker room and everyone's gonna be like, Aren't you the most selfish guy to ever play football in the history of the world? Yeah, you are. That's interesting. We'll see how this works. That's yeah. crazy. I I think it's a the best way to describe it, short sighted decision. That's and that's being as nice as possible. If MJ Morris wants to play in the NFL, and NFL teams overlook all kinds of stuff if guys are talented enough. But the first time he sits in front of NFL decision makers, if he ends up being that type of guy, hey, tell me about why you just kind of left your football team in the month of November. Let, let's talk about that. It just, he is going to carry this with him the rest of his career. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like that. That's wild. Birthday shout-outs. Welcome to the world, Jeremiah John. Happy fifth birthday to Charlotte Hansen. Happy seventh birthday to Jet Java Amore <laughs> Helm. Let's go, Jet. Happy ninth birthday to Tinsley Sneed. Happy 12th birthday to Faye Kroon. Happy 30th birthday to David Prophet. Happy 31st birthday to Dylan Watts. And happy 35th birthday to Kayla Costner Morris. On that note, episode 369 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop on Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref, and you can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have an awesome rest of your week. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the games. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time